0: Find their written and premium audio content at UTHDynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose.
1: Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now.
0: Welcome down to the helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. She is Katie Flower, official show of UTHDynasty.com. We continue our Dynasty Rookie Draft Flashback Series, and the year was 2018. We're rolling along in this series, and I looked up a few things for sports. And this brings back the memories, Katie, to a of through that national title winning touchdown pass. How long ago does that seem? Uh, this is when Baltimore, uh, Baltimore, Maryland County uh, beat the number one seed, Virginia. The curling team, this is when I got geeky on curling. The US, US men's team won gold. Stefan Diggs, the, the Minnesota miracle to shock the Saints. And then the Eagles with the Philly special ended up winning the Super Bowl. So that is just four short years ago. And Katie, 2018, we're right in the, the meat of some really good classes. And this one, we're going to highlight all the players, all the skill positions here as we roll through uh, what we can learn. But this was definitely I one I remember for being a ton of running backs that had profiles worthy of going high in rookie drafts.
1: Yes, we always say that a draft class can be judged based on the strength of its running backs and quarterbacks, especially if it's super flex. If it's not super flex, then that's not as, but most dynasty leagues nowadays, let's face it, are super flex. So we'll start with the running backs. We had three first rounders. And as you mentioned, we had like eight in the top 100, but the three first rounders, second overall, Saquon Barkley out of Penn State, Rashad Penny. 27th overall to the Seahawks and Sony Michelle 31st overall. I remember when we did the live NFL draft show, we were all like Sony Michelle. Ugh. It was the same thing with Clyde Edwards Alaire when that finally happened. That same feeling, like his Georgia teammate Nick Chubb went second round 35th overall, and I really felt like the Patriots missed the boat by drafting Sony Michelle when they could have had a Nick Chubb. Uh, you know, just sitting there waiting. Ronald Jones also went in the second round, On Johnson and Darius Geis. Darius Geis was off-field issues that we weren't privy to at the time, but enough NFL owners had dug up enough to where he slid. Nobody believed him because talent-wise, he would have been a top two, top three running back if he didn't have those off-field issues, at least in Debbie, his profile fit. We have Royce Freeman as the lone Third rounder, and then we had a handful of others, which we will, I'm sure, talk about. Naheem Hines, Kalen Bellage was a big name in, in uh, you know, for a later rookie. Chase Edmonds wasn't a big name, but he was in this class in the fourth round. Jordan Wilkins, for a little time, had a little bit of buzz in the fifth round. John Kelly, sixth round. Boston Scott, sixth round. Bo Scarborough was a big Debbie name. He went seventh round to Dallas. Um but because Zeke Elliott was doing so well, everybody just thought he was more like depth and that was it. But very uh, top heavy, and all the way through, there were some good good running back profiles, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, absolutely. the th- The question I was thinking when I was putting together for for the show notes and some of the the data we're going to discuss, and I want to get your thoughts. I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna lead the witness, but. What we know now, so we are four seasons in and obviously still an incomplete for what their career arc ultimately will, will show out in a few more years. But between Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley, how would you deduce who has been the the better or top running back of this class based on the results through four seasons?
1: Well, I think that Nick Chubb has certainly been more durable. He's had 58 starts compared to Saquon Barkley's only had 44. The market right now, they're, you know, the Giants are trying to move Saquon and they can't even get like a third or fourth round pick for the dude. He's a big, strong guy that can catch. He's got a great profile, great work ethic, but I'd rather have Nick Chubb on my dynasty team. And I, I like Nick Chubb a lot coming out. You know, I, I was on him in Debbie when he was a freshman at Georgia I
0: love me my Georgia running backs. Yeah, um, uh, he grades out in the running back index higher, and Saquon Barkley, of course, you know, first couple of years, especially on per game basis, he was lightning in a bottle. Um, he finished running back two within those seasons, and uh, again, he had that pedigree, and he was going one hundred and one, one hundred and two of startup drafts. Now, the rub is. You know, at that point, you certainly would not have been. Oh, now's the time to sell because he had sort of everything pointing in that direction. In retrospect, situation, some injuries uh, taking away the past couple of years. Um, all those factors, and like you said, I mean, now having a, a huge salary, and the Giants realizing that maybe isn't the best team building team building view. Barkley is is certainly one that has been surprisingly insulated in the dynasty marketplace, and it just goes to show when you're drafted that highly and you have that much of cachet coming into the NFL and early on, you're going to get a lot of passes. And I've said before, you know, if you're not playing, and he's missed plenty of games, that it hurts you. Uh, less than if you're playing and playing poorly, a la Zeke Elliott and some of these others that put out "quote unquote" bad tape or subpar tape for their own standards. And Barkley has just plainly missed time, like Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they have missed time. Barkley had, uh, you know, I think his most notable stretch this past year, he had 50 points over a couple games early on in the season, and that was really, you know, the last point we saw, or, or the, the first point in the past 24 months. We've seen Saquon Barkley kind of look himself-ish. So, fortunately, he got to the offseason. Hopefully, he can mend and heal. And he's still, you know, all these guys are still in their prime window of production. And one data point on the uh, the strength of the class, as you mentioned, this was the best class dating back to 2008 when you put together the top 100 picks at the running back position with their profiles as well as draft position. Obviously, Saquon Barkley going as high as he did really helps uh, that class. But like you said, a number of first rounders, second rounders, and, uh, you know, the other part that, that I would say that I remember is uh, and will remember about this class is that we had Sonny Michelle and Rashad Penny pretty much in the first three, four seasons be about as worst case for a round one running back as you possibly can be. And yet, Penny, we saw what he could do finally healthy. Uh, he hasn't been signed yet as of this recording, but finishing his rookie contract, that fifth year option with a high note. Um, to say that he was one of the most productive running backs over, was it four five, six weeks to close the season. And Sony Michelle, he had plenty of moments. It's not that he ever finished in the top 10 or 15 for the aggregate season, but both of those guys still had moments of, oh, I kind of see why they were drafted as high as they were, even if we would have obviously taken guys like Nick Chubb and maybe others ahead of them in the NFL draft itself.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember several different storylines from this draft class Because of Debbie and, again, the innate talent, Darius Geis was going 102 in non-superflex drafts. It was Saquon Barkley, then Darius Geis, and Nick Chubb, all in those three in some form or fashion. The other storyline, Ronald Jones. Everybody was thinking he's going to be the next Jamal Charles. We didn't like his profile. I've seen him play live. I saw him at – I brought Tim to the – Uh, Cotton Bowl. And it was Ohio State against USC and got to see end zone look of him coming towards the end zone and going away. And he only really got what was blocked for him. So that I didn't think he was the type of running back. He was undersized. He didn't have a great profile and he only got what was blocked for him. Anybody that has a big gaping hole can get through it and then show some decent speed. But he wasn't a creator. So I always had the skepticism about him. And then the On Johnson, he was a late first, early second in most non-superflex drafts. He could go mid-second to late second if it was a superflex draft, maybe even early third. But I remember that was after Jordan Howard's big year. And people were saying, oh, I'd rather have Jordan Howard. And I'd say, man, I'd rather have Carry-on Johnson. And then Jordan Howard completely faded from he he was a one-dimensional type guy but that's why sometimes you've got to like if there's a rookie that has a profile of a pass catching guy that's big enough and strong enough they're usually going to do you better in fantasy than the one-dimensional pounders
0: Yeah. um, One thing you mentioned Darius Geis and more of a macro discussion, because I remember for years, we would talk about the dialogue of, well, everyone said Darius Geis was a first round player and they almost like viewed him as you mentioned. I mean, he would go 102, 103 in drafts. And this was as a guy who went 59 overall. I mean, he barely got into the second round and behind a ton of guys in the second round and the first round of this draft. And yet he was pushed up because of that Debbie cachet do you think, in retrospect, that that's something that hey, if they fall because of off the field, if they fall because of medicals, if they fall because of X Y Z, it's still the number is the number. Or do you think that that there are reasons to mentally massage that and say, well, guys at fifty nine, we should really view them differently than than fifty nine because you know and eh, what you know it's almost like we're saying well ah eh, what is it what does the NFL know well when someone falls. That's different than one team saying, let me take Sonny Michelle at 31. That's a singular decision. The whole league getting basically two chances at Darius Geis and everybody passing is more telling when they fall than when they rise. Do you think Geis, in, again, we know the results, we have access to that, but do you think him going as running back, what was it, seven of the class, and yet he was going two off the board on a number of occasions, do you think that that, that, that should have been different knowing, you know, knowing the draft position and stop making excuses for why he fell.
1: There are players throughout history, like Isaiah Crowell, Stefan Diggs, who fall for different reasons. And for Isaiah Crowell, it was off field and then he switched schools and uh, Stefan Diggs, uh, you know, he, he ended up at Maryland. I believe he transferred also, but you do have to make exceptions. You've got to look at the whole picture. But yes, I think it's crazy that that we were pushing them all the way to two overall. Maybe well, that's different than Diggs in round accepted. three,
0: right? Or Crowell in the second round of rookie drafts. We're talking about like a bunch oh, of I running know. backs going highly and yet we want or like we just go that guy it's not like Ronald Jones and Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle these it's not like these guys had no no name cachet they were all like high four or five star guys from big programs and they produced all to a a requisite level and they all went higher than guys like in retrospect i find this very quizzical that it was like guys you're the guy you're in there 102 103
1: yeah and again i think that people overadjusted yeah too much but there are exceptions you know over Over carry
0: johnson fine over like i don't think at 59 overall you should probably press the button over a first round running back just as a general global rule that's a full round difference round one running backs now obviously penny and michelle it's not like those worked out but i think the exercise the practice and the the putting the guidelines in place i think that's a good one which is like you know, Jonathan Taylor versus Clyde edwards layer that was early second versus late first. But man, I mean, you start going in the fifties or sixties, and now you're going to put that guy over a first rounder? I'm not sure. And and the the ADT and the you know probabilities would tell you that that's a pretty bad historical bet.
1: Yeah, uh, I think if he would have settled somewhere around the mid first,
0: right, five after, six, yeah, yeah, just yeah, after it.
1: Saquon, after Chubb and. You know, obviously we've got other receivers and things like that. Penny probably would have been ahead of him just because of the first round. I don't think I could have taken Sony Michelle over him just because I watched a lot of his uh, games at Georgia and he was decent, but I didn't see him as right. the kind of back. So it, it really, if you put it all together. Yeah you still at the end of the day have to go with your guy. We didn't know at that time, the extent of his off field issues, who could have known the NFL knew they kind of told us, but
0: yeah, the one that hurts for me, they don't always get it right either. The one that hurts for me, actually the two that hurt for me, one is Royce Freeman. Uh, You know, I, and, and he seemed like as he got into the NFL, he, he gained weight, didn't lose it. He's like the, the opposite, the reverse Le'Veon Bell, like bizarro Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell lost, Five, 10, 15 pounds as he went through the NFL. He got actually quicker. Royce Freeman tested well, you know, a, a four, five, four, uh, decent, you know, a sub seven second three cone at 229. But it seemed like quickly he got to 235, 238. I mean, who knows what the highest point he was playing at? Almost like there were a couple points I was like, is he going to play fullbacker? Like, what's going on here? And he was highly productive though at Oregon. Uh, but here's one caveat. I mean, he fell to the third round and you say push him up ahead of guys like Kirion johnson or ronald jones or whatever i mean they all had good enough profiles to say you probably shouldn't be doing that with guys that were drafted in the top 45 50 and there's royce freeman out in round three um, so he's a four-year starter and again four-year running backs though you typically want younger guys typically you'd love the three-year and out player which there are plenty of them in this class so uh royce freeman's the one that was just in my opinion It was a bad beat. I I will still go back in time and say that's a profile that I would support. The other one would be I was all over late second round. I remember it was Kalen Balaj over and over again. And this was. That's
1: a cheap enough bet. That's. No, no, I understand.
0: But I just, what I mean is, I wish I would, it would have turned out differently because Balaj, we actually saw, was it with. uh, it wasn't with Pittsburgh. Was it Miami? I know Miami, he moved around. Yeah, it was Miami. He actually started to show a few things. And I think he went to Pittsburgh and that didn't work out. as like I thought he could have been the injury away guy. That didn't really transpire. But we're talking 225 plus. It was like, this is potentially a David Johnson-like situation. And it turned out exactly opposite. David Johnson started producing right away. He looked the part. He made it to high-level fantasy producer. Kalen Bellage at a lesser price point you know, fell to 131 overall and didn't really, but, but that's the profile where it's like, that was a, a good profile and you take your swing. And I was just a little surprised, not that he didn't turn out to be a superstar, but I'm surprised it didn't turn out better than it did, which is basically a few glimmering moments. He never really carved much of anything. I don't even know. Do you have any numbers, Katie? Did he have any sort of clarified starts or top five uh, showings or a lot of the things you track for the, for the production here?
1: I didn't get to do that this week.
0: <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. No, that's fine. But I've just, been traveling but, a lot. But, no, I'm I sorry, but just but just memory serves that that Kalen Balaj never really got there. Like he might have had a smattering of games, but I know this: it wasn't predictable. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't like, oh, here comes the Kalen Balaj, like Alexander Madison clarified start. Here it comes. Let's put him in our lineups and have fun rubbing our hands together. So uh, those are the two that I remember most of of just the profiles were there. And, you know, at least, you know, Royce Freeman was, where, where do you have him going? I remember it was like later first. Does that sound right?
1: Oh yeah. It was late first or he was in that carry on Johnson range. He was, he was right around, uh,
0: 10 to 15 or something. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: But yeah, pretty much all the other guys. Um, but but anyway, but running back again, we got plenty of production, but I think it was just, uh, it, it's been a roller coaster ride, even with guys like and Barkley. And that's why just going back to, you know, to finish with the, the first thing we said, which is Nick Chubb has been the most, most bankable thing, which is it was mid first, you know, mid season one, he took over. I remember that was when Carlos Hyde had the job for a half a season. He gets shipped out uh, to Jacksonville. I think it was Cleveland to Jacksonville. And then Nick Chubb takes over three straight years now of top 12 production. And I think the biggest quibble we've is he doesn't catch enough passes to truly have, you know, almost like Derrick Henry. He hasn't really had enough receiving work to be a high end running back one. And then Kareem hunt showing up, you know, and obviously there's a lot of moving pieces there, but Nick Chubb, the player has been one of the more bankable running backs in the entire NFL for three and a half seasons now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it also just as good as this class was, and as good as these profiles were and are, things still can happen like the injuries, the nagging injuries that keep a player off the field repeatedly, or it could just be offensive line.
0: One one last thing I wanted to, for, that we didn't mention is let's not forget that one of the first productive guys in this class was Philip Lindsay. And I remember he was a, a big pickup. He was running back 13 in his first season, but what did he do? And typically, again, this is what happens when you don't have pedigree and you, you're a surprise producer, 13, 27, 64, and 100. So he pretty much just went straight downward. And again, he was the first guy outside of Seco and Barkley to start producing just right away. And, and so you really have to take stock of how good is the profile because Lindsay did not have a good profile. He started producing and he really was that one hit, one ish hit wonder. And you could get probably quite a lot if you were pivoting within this class or getting picks or whatever it was. So that's a good reminder of when, you know, early on, stick with the profile just a little bit more. And you would have been skeptical of Lindsay if you had some shares and you could have cashed out for a, a very nice price.
1: Yep. Good point. Onto the wide receivers. Uh, this wasn't a particularly strong class. But it was uh, a lot of wide receiver two types. You had DJ Moore that went to Carolina, first round, 24th overall. Calvin Ridley, I know a lot of people were buzzed about him, but we didn't like him as much because he was on the older side. And you can talk about his profile and his metrics. Corlin Sutton, he was a big Debbie name from SMU, went second round to Denver, Dante Pettis, I know a lot of buzz on him. Christian Kirk, we liked him at under the helmet. Anthony Miller, he went to Chicago in the second round. Not a big profile that we like. James Washington, I remember him from Debbie, went to Oklahoma State. Pretty good, but just a wide receiver too. DJ Chark was in this second round pick to Jacksonville. Then we had Michael Gallup, Traquan Smith as third rounders. And one of the things I wanted to note, well, a couple things. Antonio Calloway slipped to the fourth round. He was a five-star guy and all the rage in Debbie, but not productive in college. And then, you know, some off-field issues himself, he slipped to the fourth round. But the big, big, big one was Equinemia St. Brown. He was a huge Debbie Darling, and he went in the sixth round, a full round behind Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Green Bay drafted two wide receivers in this draft and everybody still took ESB Equinemia St. Brown was still unbelievably going right around the turn at the end of the second early third wow. and you could get Marquez Valdez scaling, round, who went earlier in the draft you waiver could get wire. him either as a waiver wire pickup or late in the fourth or fifth depending on how deep your rookie draft was that is where people need to make the adjustment from Debbie and really liking the guy all his college career. Same thing with uh, Antonio Calloway. You can like a guy all you want, but like with Darius Geis and some of these other fallers, they're falling for a reason.
0: Yeah, and Alan Lazard was also in this class as a UDFA, so that was another one for the Packers that ended up being more correct. And obviously, you could have waited probably a, a whole year before you picked up Alan Lazard, or you probably churned out one, two, three times uh, by the time he finally started producing. And he ended up lapping Equinemius St. Brown, you know, in that same offense. And we'll see what happens with uh, Scantling in the in the free agent market. But Equinemius St. Brown has long since been gone from uh, from relevancy here, if he ever even was on the NFL landscape, uh, here's, here's the one lesson I, I learned, because I remember I was all over Christian Kirk. And here's, here was one of my flaws, is that I remember late first round, 109 to 112, somewhere in that range, that a lot of times, and they might go back to back, DJ Moore and Christian Kirk. And here, here's another one, and we we kind of talked with this about running backs with Darius guys versus say Nick Chubb or you know guys that went a lot higher than him. That it's not like we're talking about the worst profile versus the best profile. That DJ Moore and Christian Kirk both in the top five percent of the model really liked both of them, and DJ Moore, I remember, oh, it's not a great situation, and you know. Uh, but he went first round Christian Kirk, 47 overall and first round wide receivers. God, they're a lot better than day two. They just are. And they're going to get a lot of chances. And, and Christian Kirk, obviously he broke the bank and we'll see how this works out going to Jacksonville but he has been outproduced by DJ Moore to date. Uh, And it hasn't been particularly close through four seasons. DJ Moore has three seasons in the top 25. Christian Kirk hasn't topped wide receiver 30. So you're talking about three seasons better than Christian Kirk's best season. Like that's non-competitive in terms of a finish and how the two compare through four years. DJ Moore looks more like a number one. Christian Kirk looks more like a number two guy. We'll see how this pans out, but... You take a first-round guy that, ha- that checks the athleticism, uh, good thickness, and he was productive, and he was hyper young like DJ Moore, and you pass on that for Christian Kirk. And I did that over and over in that you know, 110, 111, 112 sort of range. And the same thing with, with Calvin Ridley, like to take zero shares. Now, you mentioned about Ridley's profile. Coming out of Alabama, you always say, uh, eh, you know, what's the competition for targets like? Do you give them a little bit of a pass? I think a wide receiver, you give them less of a pass than you do at running back. Running back, there's one ball one guy can be on the field pretty much at a time. So Georgia guys, Alabama guys, I think you give them more of a pass on how much did they produce because they probably have a lot of good traits and they're four or five star guys at a position where that really matters at running back. But for Ridley, 23% athleticism, 44% production score. He's a 23 and a half year old coming into the NFL. So not the greatest profile, but what did you get? You had a five-star guy that came in and frankly... In uh, you know value over baseline, he's been the most productive guy of this class. Now who knows if DJ Moore passes him? Because when's the next time Ridley plays, and is he any good? And he'll be twenty eight the next time he plays, and Moore is you know two year two full years younger than him, and now he's going to accrue an extra season. So, but but Ridley first round pedigree. And again, the you got a discount. He was going late first in rookie drafts as well. Yep. So that's because the, of all the so, running backs. So me sitting there, right. So me sitting there and being stubborn and going, I have to take Christian Kirk every single time over these other guys. When it's not to say I couldn't take him some of the time and all of them to some degree have been productive through three, four seasons. But to say that, like, let me not mix in any of the other guys that went ahead and were first rounders. And Ridley, again, being a five-star guy and getting first round pedigree, you need to relax. The you know, are there any true red flags? Because they go first round, first round wide receivers. It's not like you have a crack at these types of guys in the late first or second round of rookie drafts every single year. Sometimes they're all gone. So you got to be very careful about saying no to that. And Ridley was attached to a quality quarterback and Matt Ryan coming out, and DJ Moore at a good profile. So the, those three are going to be connected for me when I think 2018 class.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember also Michael Gallup was somebody that went somewhere around the mid-second, late-second in rookie drafts, and he seemed like a pretty good value. He didn't look like he was going to be necessarily ever a wide receiver one, but as far as fantasy, uh, sometimes a good wide receiver two. If you're starting three to five or three to six or four to six wide receivers, having guys like that in the lineup – For fairly inexpensive, uh, they're worth a shot.
0: Yeah. And Gallup, I mean, he might have his career year coming up. It might still be ahead of him because Amari Cooper gone and they choose to re-sign Michael Gallup. And now it's Gallup and and CeeDee Lamb, notably of that wide receiver core. And he has a top 20 season under his belt. So we, like you said, that Good role player. He's been solid for three years. He's had some injuries mixed in, but but that high floor guy can play at the NFL level. That moniker has been correct for him. And it's interesting because DJ Chark is another one that he was a one. So far, he's a one hit wonder, and sure enough, he has a boom bust profile. You know, he's a big time athlete, and he wasn't uh, all that productive in college. And he had that one big year, and now he's on a one year prove it deal. Uh, I think it was Detroit, and let's see how that works out. But he had that one, gle- you know, glowing year. And again, it's amazing, especially if they don't get round one pedigree. How many times wide receivers with that type of profile that you're better off selling when they start producing? Because a lot of times it doesn't sustain itself.
1: Yep. Any final thoughts on the wide receivers?
0: Uh, James James Washington's one that he's had some moments, but I know you know just in general like the profile. In addition to Michael Gallup, TreQuan Smith, I mean those three guys were productive. They had enough pedigree. I remember wa- watching James Washington college, who he got passes from Mason Rudolph, I believe, who was also in this class. Yes. So that tandem at Oklahoma State was big time. I mean, we really didn't have an Oklahoma State receiver like that since Justin Blackman. And then you had uh, James Washington just be hyper productive at that level. Now his deep game, he really didn't develop an intermediate game. So that's been really frustrating. I, I wonder if Washington wasn't on such a stacked Pittsburgh depth chart when he first arrived, would that have changed anything? I mean, is he done at this point? Like I think we have some legit questions, but he but that just shows you you can have some good profiles that you like, but if they're just buried on day two somewhere and they aren't elite, just absolutely studs, then you have to question it a little bit because good enough may not be good enough to actually be fantasy sticky, is, is I guess the last thing I'll remember.
1: And that reminds me of Jalen Strong when he got drafted at Houston. We liked his profile, but he never, ever, he didn't get along with the coaches. He never got on the field. And by the time that second contract went around, there wasn't any bags left for him.
0: And shout out to one more guy, Russell Gage, because I remember this, which is every, it seems like there's two or three players every year at the skill positions that on day three, I'm sitting there, I'm updating stuff on the Saturday of the draft and they're not in my projection model. And Russell Gage got picked. And I was like, LSU? And, and I was like, how did I not have this guy in my model? And it's because he was not productive in college at all. And sure enough, I mean, what a story though. He goes through, he starts benefiting from you know whether it's Julio Jones missing some time or Calvin Ridley or just being the number three guy. And now he's got a fresh new contract. He's playing with Tom Brady this year, Katie. And I mean, but he's a guy that went all the way from barely being drafted. I remember reading about him. It's like, he's more of a special teamer. And yet he started to carve a role with the Falcons. And now he's onto a second contract. He was productive in his first three or four years um, in the NFL. He actually two top 50 seasons back to back here. Now he gets to go maybe benefit from no uh, Chris, uh, Chris Godwin in the first part of the season. Russell Russell Gage might be a guy in lineups the first four six eight weeks of the season, and for a guy that barely got drafted, huge success story coming out of twenty eighteen.
1: Yep, good stuff. Tight ends, uh, we had one in the first round, Hayden Hurst. He was a little bit on the older side. He was twenty five years old when he came out, and so I think that caused him. He was not the first tight end off most boards in rookie drafts. In fact, he didn't. He was tight end four off the board when people started taking them. Mike Gusecki and Dallas Goddard were both second rounders, Mark Andrews, Jordan Akins, third rounders. And then we have some guys that were later that have been on rosters here and there and a little bit productive here and there. I'm just going to rattle off the names. Jordan Akins, Ian Thomas, Chris Herndon, Will Disley, Durham Smike to a small extent, Dalton Schultz, uh, fourth round of Dallas, Tyler Conklin, and uh, Jordan Thomas to Houston in round six. But the first guy in rookie drafts, if it wasn't tight end premium, somewhere around late second was Mike Gusecki. Dallas Goddard was not that far behind in early second. Mark Andrews, I know we liked him the most, and he has ended up being the most productive, and he had a good situation there in Baltimore as well but uh, he was a third tight end off most people's boards in rookie drafts.
0: Yeah, we were, we were talking about Mark Andrews and Devi. You know, I remember yes. that. And, and that was part of, was that part of Baker Mayfield's yeah, uh, reign at Oklahoma? Oklahoma. And yeah. he was basically the wide receiver one of that team. And the thing that I don't think it's really, I mean, in retrospect, it's easy to see because it happened, but imagine this. I mean, Baltimore took a first round tight end that again, Hayden Hurst. Not a lot of people were tracking him two years out from the NFL or anything. And then two two rounds later, they take Mark Andrews. They double up at the position, and that's that's kind of like Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. You know, the the Patriots doubled up, and we've seen other teams do it. But the fact that Hayden Hurst he got injured early, I remember that it was like training camp and OTAs, and like he never really got his footing. Mark Andrews instantly came in as a pro-ready guy, started producing, and just it never deviated. It was an instantaneous flip of which guy was the first round pick because it looks the exact opposite because Hurst was never able to gain traction. He was constantly the number two guy. And then obviously, you know, his best year so far is when he transitioned over to Atlanta and got a fresh start by being traded, I think, for a second round pick, which is pretty good on Baltimore to get some of that value back when they already had their guy in Mark Andrews. But I don't even think, you know. no matter how pro Mark Andrews you were, the fact that he instantaneously passed a first rounder you know, on the same depth chart was such a best case scenario beyond any sort of high-end outcomes. And he just instantly started producing. And now Andrews showed uh, really great signs in year one. He's been top five three years in a row. And tight end is a position that if you get stuff going on, like a career arc going on like that, it pretty much doesn't stop. You're, you're pretty much on a, uh, an all-time track in terms of you might have five, six, seven, you know wide, uh, tight end one seasons because there's no reason for it to really stop because that's a tough position to carve that high of a role on a passing game. And Andrews is already there. He was already there through two seasons.
1: Yeah. And I think that it was crazy that Hayden Hurst went in the first round and yet in rookie drafts, Mark Andrews, people did draft him ahead of Hayden Hurst, even before the injury, even yeah. before Mark Andrews took over. So he had a great profile. And of all the tight ends, uh, I remember Dallas Goddard was another one that we really liked. And I was disappointed as a Cowboys fan. You know, the draft was in Dallas and Philadelphia traded up just to get one spot ahead of Dallas in order to get Dallas Goddard. And that was almost like a uh-huh, <laughs> type move.
0: Yeah. And, and Goddard and Gesicki were the two big athletic marvels of the position. And Andrews was a good athlete, but an elite producer at the college level. Um, and, and again, all three of them have shown well because they all have tied in one seasons under their belt. Goddard has, he doesn't have the ceiling of Mark Andrews, but he has three seasons in the top 12 already. He's on a great track and you kind of think his ceiling is maybe yet to be discovered for him. And Gasicki, uh, he's had a few moments, but he's been a lot more spotty than Andrews and Goddard. I also, I mean, we've had some, some really good deeper guys in Dalton Schultz. Uh, he took over with Blake Jarwin, supposed to be the breakout guy a couple. Uh, what was it? Uh, two seasons ago, and then he gets hurt. Dalton Schultz runs with the job. He's another one, right? It was Stanford was tight end you, and I know a lot of people have forgotten that we had Kobe Parkinson not really work out so far, yeah. um, but Dalton Schultz was part of that tight end you. And then, so he, he's actually now, you know, being retained by Dallas, Blake Jarwin is gone. He's going to be another, maybe top six to eight guy this year, as he was a year ago. And then Tyler Conklin, another one that produced a little bit in the back, in the back view, Irv Smith getting injured. And then what what do we have? We have Tyler Conklin with a relevant season, both guys, Schultz and Conklin pretty much off the radar and, and coming from the depths of draft position and proving to be, to be relevant players here.
1: Absolutely. Any final thoughts on tight ends?
0: Uh, no, just that, you know, like you said, Andrews was a, a profile we liked and, you know, Gesicki was a little bit on the radar. Dallas Goddard pretty much came onto the radar the last season or so before the NFL. Um, but Hayden Hurst really had a poor profile and he was 25 years old. There was a lot of reasons to say, let's be skeptical. And the fact that Baltimore was able to dive back in, I just say that's that's good drafting. And obviously we don't have you know the same sort of maybe complications that NFL teams do, but take best play. I, I think the lesson Baltimore can teach us here is best player available. And if it means in a particular year, you take seven straight running backs in your rookie draft. If the best player ends up being uh, two tight ends, a quarterback and two running backs, like whatever, and, and in, this is independent of what your roster is, just take those guys because again, the success stories of I drafted Mark Andrews because I thought he was the best player, but I already had Travis Kelsey or whatever. Uh, again, worry about a good problem when the good problem actually happens because you only have a pro- you're Actually, the biggest problem is if you start taking players that don't do anything, then I don't care what position they play. You got problems. And, and a good problem is I have too many of a player that I can't start them. Right. I mean, I'm out of flexes. I've got all these great tight ends and I can't start them all. All right. Well then address the problem. Maybe you want to resculpt your, your roster, but you still have good players. Um, And I think people, a lot of times go into their rookie draft and they go, well, I can't, you know, I'm good at running back. I can only draft, you know, I really don't want to draft anymore. Well, if they're the best player and the best value for the pick, just keep doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. And if that's where the rookie draft leads you, you got to go there.
1: Yeah. And then the quarterbacks. We had five in the first round. Ooh, banner. Uh, There was a lot of hype on a lot of these guys. Uh, Baker Mayfield went first overall to Cleveland. Then Sam Darnold, uh, two picks later, third overall to the Jets. Josh Allen Surprisingly went seventh overall ahead of Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen was the Debbie name. A lot of people really liked him looking back at his profile, man. Now that Mm -hmm. I know what I know, (laughs) I know more what to look for. And Mm -hmm. his profile was just poor. Uh, And then Lamar Jackson was uh, Baltimore moved up to make sure to get that fifth year option. He was the last of the first round. And then we didn't have another quarterback off the board until Mason Rudolph in the third. A lot of people thought he was going to be Ben Roethlisberger's replacement. So he, in Superflex, I remember he did get drafted uh, here and uh, there. But for the most part, those five guys, in some order, Baker Mayfield, more often than not, was the 101 in Superflex rookie drafts. And, uh you know, it's crazy to think now we think first round quarterbacks have a big, long rope. Josh Rosen had a frozen rope. There was, it, it was, he it, had six inches of rope over. and it was
0: just enough to hang himself. That's how much rope Josh Rosen had. And it yeah. lasted one year, one season before they're like, we got to go somewhere else. Let's take a right turn and get off this street. Um, yeah. The, the, the lessons I'm going to remember here is well, one is Baker Mayfield was not considered 101. Uh, for the NFL this time, you know, in in earlier March he was not considered like that he was right. going to be number one off the board. It, it was going to be Darnold or Rosen, um, and just things change. And then uh, the other thing I remember is that I will remember is this is really a class that is is exemplified by you, man. If you've got tools and you've got mobility and you do get pedigree, then watch out. Because who are the guys that, that, yeah, Lamar Jackson fell, he still made it into the first round. And we had, we had Josh Allen. He made it into the top 10. For all of his hand-wringing concerns about being erratic, is the accuracy ever going to be there? What was he? He was a giant tank with a howitzer, and he could run. And, and fantasy-wise, you can work with that, right? I mean, Jalen Hurts has a fraction of the stuff that Josh Allen does, and he's an auto start fantasy option. So Josh Allen, again, the the risk of taking guys like that is if they don't work out, their job security maybe not a, the short as short of a leash as Josh Rosen, but their job security is minimal. But they are they will be fantasy impactful when they play. We say this over and over again. That's the fast track. Be pro, be productive on the ground and be good enough through the air. And early on, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, that was the, exactly their definition. So. Rosen, a statue. Baker Mayfield has had a little bit of mobility, but not much. And Sam, Sam Darnold, same thing. Some mobility, but not enough. Not enough to, to say that you have to be really, really good as a passer. And I just think that Jackson and Allen had a lot more leeway. And I'll always remember that I, I think Jordan came up with the rule, which is like, if you have a guy, a uh, quarterback go that high, and like in Superflex, they're available in the second round of rookie drafts, at, meaning, meaning Josh Allen you take them. Yeah. Or like yeah. if he slips to the late third or fourth round of a start one, you just take him. you just take him, And so that's where, you know, it came four years ago of kind of talking about this and Josh Allen being the the point man for that type of philosophy.
1: Absolutely. If you go back and you watch Josh Allen's college film, though, you will cringe because he really put in a lot of work. Not a lot of quarterbacks do. And it is hard to change old habits. He is one case. We cannot say that he is the norm. So I don't want anybody to think that Malik Willis just because he can run around and is athletic and and inaccurate but has a strong arm. I don't want people to draw the same comparison and say, "Well, you know, just, you know, we're going to be able to get him. He's going to be going 101 in well, a was lot going to the There's a huge thing, difference. The Your bad thing is going. Josh
0: Allen at 203 of yeah, a startup uh, of a exactly. super flex draft and 401 of a one quarterback. Malik Willis is probably going to go what, top 18 of a of a of a one quarterback and he's gonna go top two or three, you know, of a of a super flex. So that so that is wildly different price points. And so that's why again, sometimes you have to remember these lessons and these players and these examples for years because it's easy to say, oh, you just, you know, oh yeah, the next Stefan Diggs. Well, it might be 10 years before you go from Stefan Diggs to the next guy that actually fits a criteria or the Josh Allen sort of template here of. Keep your rabbit ears up, make sure you're paying attention. And like we're saying, it's probably not this year. Like we're, like we're reading the tea leaves, but it might be next year. It might be 2025. Like you learn these lessons, and I always say you build the toolbox because you never know when you're gonna need the wrench or you're gonna need a certain type of saw. You know, you never know, maybe not this project. Katie knows <laughs> Katie knows firsthand. Like she's got a ton of tools, but she doesn't use every tool for every project because it doesn't apply.
1: Exactly. Um, So when it comes to this many quarterbacks in the first round of the NFL draft, you obviously, in in rookie drafts, you have your pick of the litter. You've got to be a little bit bullish on who's your guy. And I know you've mentioned this before the show, sometimes ADP can be peer pressure because everybody expects you to take XYZ, Baker Mayfield, you got to take Baker Mayfield. If you can't trade back, you can't trade out of the pick, and you don't like the particular player, and you've got to you do like a quarterback or you do like a certain player, you've got to get your guy, even if it's five or six picks early. Don't let ADP be your peer pressure.
0: Yeah. And and what I'll say is this if you don't want to take your next player, whoever that is try to trade down, try to trade out, trade and I think the other part that we we I say all the time but be open to trading that pick for a veteran. I have a draft, right. you know, going on this week, my first one, my first rookie devy combo draft of the season and I traded one of the picks in the middle of the draft for a player because I didn't like the board. And that's okay. If you're if you're thinking running back per se and you don't like the running backs that are out there, then try to trade for one that's an injury away. Try to trade for a profile you like. And no, it's not going to be an auto start week one player if you're talking third, fourth round, whatever. But get a backup that you like. Get one that you like better than some off the rails, whack-a-doodle, low probability, round six, seven, or undrafted NFL draft pick that you're like, oh, the odds of this guy are like 5%. Well, the odds of the injury away guy are a heck of a lot higher than 5%, even if they're not a super sexy, they might be 26 years old. And frankly, that guy is only going to make it till October on your roster anyway. So that would be, again, it, it, and if you, do, if you don't feel comfortable going to get your next guy, know that you always have a lot of different options to move back, move out, or trade for players as part of another package as well. Um and, and the last thing on Lamar Jackson is just that I remember Tim and I specifically had him on, uh, we drafted him, you know, on the, I think it was like round two of, uh, of the one quarterback draft or whatever. And we had him, he was behind some other quarterback at the time on our depth chart. And we traded him after the first year because we were just kind of, ah, uh, you know, it's another quarterback, clear the spot. Lamar Jackson, again, don't look for the Lamar Jackson profile. It doesn't come along that often because he is a rarefied player. Go back and watch Louisville. I and mean, he was like the whole offense. Like he was the lead running back. And sure enough, what's he doing in the NFL? Same sort of stuff. Um, but he was so hypermobile. I mean, he was basically like, if you rewind, I mean, he was Cam Newton, but obviously a more dynamic sort of runner in that, in that profile. But I mean, what a player and what a unique player he was and say like... A unicorn can be good and a bad thing. So Lamar Jackson passing again, still we're still sort of having those questions, but when you have a unicorn in a very freakish way, I would say just in general. And my last point here is embrace it. Like Cam Newton was a tank in a unique unicorn type fashion. Embrace that Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray to some degree, they are unicorns in how they play or what they are for the position Be open to them changing the game, especially at certain price points, because Lamar Jackson was not hyper expensive in this class. Josh Allen was not hyper expensive. So if you can get unicorns that don't cost you 101, that's all the better. And I would just say, be open to that. But if you're going to make that pick, and a good example from Tim and I's uh, situation, stick with it. I think at that point, Lamar Jackson had played one game or part of one game, for goodness sake. And then we traded it. Well, why'd you make the pick if he was going to basically have a redshirt rookie year and then you were going to go, eh, clear the spot? You got to commit to the spot when you draft it, especially in the first couple of rounds of your rookie draft when you make the pick.
1: Exactly. And that's why, like, people are saying on Twitter now that Mitch Trubisky has another chance to sell him, immediately trade him. And I said, what for? What are you going to trade him for? Oh, like an early second. An early second in this class, you've got so many question marks on this year's crop of quarterbacks that you'd rather give up on a first round NFL guy who has had a chance to sit back and maybe learn some stuff. His biggest thing was he had one season in college.
0: And he'll probably be, probably be a guy that's a top 12, 15 fantasy guy, regardless what his team record is or how good he is NFL wise.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, I'm of the mind you keep the Mitch Trubisky, and then if he does start to escalate, even if, if the watch- Steelers
0: draft somebody, he's probably gonna have like Trubisky's gonna have a decent leash this year. I believe on so. Whoever right. they draft at 20 or whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good point. Pushing it forward too. Uh, what do you think? Your your final thoughts? Is there anything you didn't include for this class? Or again, we've had uh, free agency frenzy. So you mentioned Trubisky. Is there anyone else on your mind?
1: It's just, no, not really in particular. It's just been crazy. I I do know that it is draft season. Some people draft before the NFL. I've got one draft that started this morning and I'm looking forward. I've got some others that are in early April. Looking forward to those. But my how things change. Just as you're starting to look at the rookies post-combine and look at your potential drafts, you're much better off holding your picks until they're on the clock rather than trade them now unless you're trying to trade up and jockey for position. But if you've got the 101, please don't trade it now. Please hold on to it. It's only going to increase in value. And same thing with with any of your firsts, please don't trade them. This is not the time of season to be trading away your rookie picks.
0: Yeah, excellent stuff, and it's amazing to see how these depth charts and especially again quarterbacks start moving, but things change. Don't think that we're done. So this whole, you know, I've seen a lot of hand wringing about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and they don't have a quarterback, and things are going to be horrible. Situations change, and that's I think free agency, every single offseason, or just changing landscape, really brings into focus. You got to like your your players because. You need to ride the waves of these players that have either been productive or you like their profiles so far because we know coaches, schemes, as well as their depth chart can, can go up and down and just, just ride that tide every, every year. So the magical situation may not be so magical this year, and that may lead to a down year. But it doesn't mean you don't believe in the player, and you didn't believe in the player leading up to this moment of still having them on your roster or acquiring them last year, whenever it was. And that's why you really have to stick through it. Um, and you know, we say all the time, you know, if you have a bunch of running backs, you got to be okay knowing that some of them are going to turn back into a, uh, you know, magic beans because you know the the good situation, the backup clarified situation in October are they really going to get all the way as an okay NFL talent? Are they going to get all the way to this May or this coming August or September and still have that number two role? And if the answer is no, it's okay. It's okay because you probably couldn't trade them for much of anything. You take your shot you know, on your Devante Booker's and Carlos Hyde's and some of them are going to turn into dust and that's okay. But again, you need those horses. You just don't necessarily know By the time we get to week one, who they're going to be for this year. But I guarantee you, as I say every year, we're going to get to late August, early September, and there will be one, two, three primary backups available on the waiver wire for you to just walk into the saloon and sit down at the bar and order a drink and pick them up. So just again, you've got to play this game all the way through. And yeah, that means you're going to get to your rookie draft and there's going to be some running backs you really liked six months ago that you're going to cut. And you got to be okay with that. And knowing that they turned back into a pumpkin. If you want to hit up Katie Flower uh, between episodes, you can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. If you like this show, you want to tune in for a lot of the content. I did a 2025 20, minute update for all the action of the first day of the NFL free agency frenzy. You get things like that. You're going to get Threshold tests, you're going to get a lot of rookie draft content, done some startup draft talk about once a month. I'll dig into ADP versus UTH, where there's some buy-sell opportunities, who's moving, and of course, when you get to rookie draft time, you're going to want to have all of the notes and strategy points. And a reminder, UTH uh, NFL draft guide, metric draft guide, has, is available for pre-order now. People are signing up and that's going to drop. Uh, I think it's the first two or three days of April, but you can find that information on the UTH Dynasty homepage and uh, do a sign up. And also, if you sign up at patreon.com UTH, you can qualify for a free copy as well. So for Katie, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties.